Well, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made, and we can rejoice and we can be glad in it. And thank you, Pastor Stan, for that gracious introduction. If I ever want anybody to introduce me, I'm going to ask you to go with me. You do it so well. And uh, Joy and I are delighted to be here this morning with you and Karen and your team and all these wonderful people. You know, we only live a few miles away from here, so when it, our schedule works out, we love to come to Horizon. And uh, you have been so gracious to receive us. We generally are in the earlier service, so we don't maybe get to see all of you. Uh, but um, in any case, we do thank you so much for welcoming us and not putting us on the spot and just letting us come in and enjoy uh, the sweet fellowship of Horizon. Uh, you know, when I drove on here, I thought, you know, this, this is an example of what God wants to do in our lives. Because how many of you remember when this was kind of like a worthless piece of property? I mean, we've lived in Tualatin for 18 years, drove by here. I never, I never dreamed, I didn't have a vision for anything spectacular, much less a, a redemption center, much less a place where students from all over the area can come to school, much less to be able to come over here on a Friday night and see a good football game. I never dreamed about that. But God put a dream together in the heart of your leader and your pastor, and uh, you all helped it come to pass. And there's still more to be dreamed, by the way. It's not over. But that's how he works in our lives. He sees perhaps more than you would ever see in your own life. I know that for sure. But maybe some people look at you and you just look like a worthless field. But God sees in you something much more spectacular than that. And so when you drive onto this campus, it's just a, like a picture of what God wants to do. He wants to kind of clean up the worthlessness and make it valuable. And so when we drove in this morning, we saw the green grass. Now, how many of you don't water your lawn? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, we got a couple of neighbors in our neighborhood that don't water. And when we saw the water bill recently, we wondered, hey, maybe we should stop watering too. But I drove in and I saw it. I said to Joy, I said, can you, can you tell Pastor Stan likes the campus that belongs to the Lord to look good because look at that. It looks so good. So thanks for being a model for us and thanks for being a dear friend and giving us the honor to be here today. We've been looking forward to this and you're very, very kind to, to invite us. Uh, you have a great staff and your team often assists us in efforts and, uh, and uh, I just want to thank all of them for uh, the work that they do. So if you have a Bible this morning, I, I want to just, uh, Joy and I were here last week and, your, and Pastor Stan gave such a brilliant message. I, I wished I had thought of it myself. God put it in his heart, and he, and he had, remember, he had all of us redo action plans. You, how many of you remember that? So if you didn't hear the message, then I encourage you to podcast or pick up the DVD because the four things he asked us to consider into action, just fantastic. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about, the, in fact, I've been thinking about this service for a long time, but... A couple of weeks ago, I kind of decided this is what the Lord wants me to share, and it, it's kind of a compliment, I hope, to what was shared last week, because I want to talk to you about being a spiritual champion, a spiritual champion. So Father, as we open your word, help us to receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So November the 1st, last year, 2009, I found myself in New York City to uh, be a part of the New York Marathon. Now, I just want to put this disclaimer. I did not run in the New York Marathon. I just went to observe 
our two oldest children, Phil and Christy, running in the New York Marathon. For both of them, it was the first, first marathon for them to ever run in. And I got to tell you, you know, 26.2 miles is a long ways. I mean, I was complaining the other day, I had to run to the mailbox and back, and you know, to see people of all shapes and sizes, my preconceived ideas about what marathon runners should look like went out the door. But all of them were champions. You know, how many of you are marathon, you've run a marathon at least once, stand up to your feet. You've been in a marathon and you've run at least one time a, a marathon. Look at this, Give, put your hands together for these marathon runners, all right. You know, when you watch a marathon, and our two children running this New York marathon with 40,000 plus runners from all over the world, and it's hard to get into the marathon, you just don't show up and say, hey, I'm going to be in the marathon today. There's quite a, an effort to become a marathon runner. But less than 1% of the, the world's population actually runs in a marathon. So when you go, and I was at mile 17 as the kids ran by, and we're waving and, you know, handing them stuff so they go keep running. And then I was at the finish line and I was standing there and I saw them come around the corner into Central Park and they go through the five boroughs of New York. Um, and, you know, I was watching as they come, it's uphill. The last part of the race, the marathon, is uphill. Who was thinking of that? <laughs> you would have thought it had been downhill. But it's uphill. And when you walk through Central Park, you don't think much about it, but when you realize that these folks have been running for all this time, and they're coming around, and there's, there's your daughter, who, by the way, beat my son, uh, <laughs> by 30 minutes. Wait till you see him. I can't wait to see him again. And then uh, you see, I saw my son. There's something in you that just rises up. Your kids are crossing the finish line of the New York Marathon. Wow. Do you know how that made me feel? And by the way, all of them had this little uh, tracker device in their shoe. So Joy, who wasn't with us in New York, was here in Oregon, uh, and they were tracking it on their cell phones. So they were calling me and telling me they're at mile 25, so mile 26, because when you're seeing thousands of people, and our daughter's blonde, and I'm, I'm looking for blonde, a blonde runner. Do you know how many blonde marathon runners there are? And then I'm looking for a, a, our son's 35. I'm looking for our son who's energetic and he's always been a competitor. I'm looking for him, but somewhere along the line, his knee was bothering him, so he's hobbling along like an old guy, you know? And I'm watching for him and I'm thinking, do I know how many old guys are running in this marathon? And finally I saw them. Something leaped within me. And something, the first one of the feelings I had is I got to get up and I got to start doing something. I can't be sitting on the couch, sitting around doing nothing. I gotta, I've got I've to walk an extra block in our neighborhood. I've got to get up earlier and pray longer. I've got to do something. I want to be a champion. Somehow, somehow, when we read uh, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 this morning, I, I feel that the, the writer of Hebrews would feel very comfortable at a marathon. Listen to what he, he, he writes. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race. Everybody say the race. The race. Everybody again. 
the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When God sees you, when God sees you, he doesn't see a loser. He sees a champion. He sees the gifts and talents that he has given you before you were even born, and he recognizes in you there is potential to be a mighty warrior for the Lord, to be a champion. In spite of what you think about yourself or other people may think about you, when you see your heavenly Father watching you go through life, he doesn't see you as a loser, he sees you as a champion. The first thing this text tells me as I looked at it for today is I need to recognize, I need to recognize, recognize you are called to participate in the race. You're called to participate in the race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run. I have been called, you have been called to participate in the race. Now notice the first word of the uh, 12th chapter. Therefore. Say it with me. Therefore. The question you ask yourself when you read the Bible and you come to this word therefore, you ask yourself, what is it therefore? What is therefore, therefore? And therefore is therefore because it is pointing you back to what has just been stated. It is, it is directing your attention back to what has been stated. And in this particular case, the 12th chapter of Hebrews is a transitional chapter in the book of Hebrews. And it is directing us to consider what has just been said in the 11th chapter, which is filled with the, the stories of inspirational spiritual champions. A list of names and in some cases brief identification events in their lives that help us understand why they were considered people of faith. People who determined that they would trust God even though it wouldn't be easy to trust God. People who made the decision to believe in God with their lives. People who said, I am determined to follow Jesus and I won't turn back. People who declared their faith, they not only put it in their heart, but they lived it out in everyday life in many cases, at the expense of their own lives. The Hall of Faith, people who experienced the extraordinary provision of God in very difficult times. People who stood on the promises of God that God had put in their hearts. They did not yet have the Word of God as you and I have it in written form where we can underline as I have this morning for this message verses that seem to speak to my heart and uh, verses that I can stand on and verses that I can say, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. They didn't have all of that, but they did have the word of the Lord. And they stood upon it. And they became spiritual champions. In this list of uh, spiritual champions, you find people like Abel. Abel, uh, the son of Adam and Eve, who... Uh, who trusted God 
because God had certain expectations that he had established very clearly, and his brother violated those expectations and guidelines. But Abel said, I'm I'm not going to do this on my own. I'm not going to try to, to make up my own religion and my religious practices, but I am going to be truly a person who fully trusts in God. And what he said, I will do it his way, not my way. Uh, you find Enoch, who it's in the list uh, of this great inspirational uh, list of spiritual champions. Enoch, it simply in Scripture says that he, he walked with God, and there's not a lot more to, to be said about that, and maybe that's all we need to know, is Enoch walked with God. And then we, we read people like Noah, who obeyed God. You know, I have a hard time staying with stuff too long, and... Uh, you know, we did pastor a church for 20 years, and I guess some people think, wow, you really stayed with it for a long time. But I mean, by nature, if I'm in a project and it doesn't work very quickly, I just say, well, you know, I'll get somebody else to do this for me. But he, Noah uh, stayed at it 120 years. And he didn't have people on the sidelines saying, no, you can do it, you can do it. He had people on the sidelines saying, you can't do it, you're stupid, you're not capable, you're out of your mind. But here's the man who's in the hall of faith who was a champion. Joseph, who came from a dysfunctional family and was falsely accused and put to the test, but he stayed faithful. He's a spiritual champion. Moses, who chose to serve God rather than serve Pharaoh, he was a champion. And interestingly enough, in the list is Rahab. Rahab, a woman who lived in Jericho, who had become a, a, a woman full of hurt in life and abused and misused in her life. And most of us would be shocked to see her name in there, but I'm glad her name's in there, by the way. With her name in there, there's hope for you and me. When you look at these lists of the Bible and you even look at the, the genealogies of the, of the Savior and the, and the uh, Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and you see certain names in there, some of them you pass over because you don't know anything about them, and you say, I'm glad they're in there because they're not like a big deal, but they're still in the list. There must be hope for me. You see, being a spiritual champion, you don't have to be at a certain level in life. In fact, in this case, probably at the lowest of life, but because she trusted God and she put her faith in God and she surrendered her life to the Lord, she was spared. And although the walls of Jericho came down and everybody perished except one family, the family of Rahab. So I'm sure when you look through that list, you probably could add some names that come to your mind. You know, what are they all telling us? Run the race. Don't quit. You are in the race. Recognize that you've been called to participate in the race. And there will be times when the lion's mouths will have to be shut. There will be times when the floodwaters come. But listen, if you're running, run with diligence. And each of us can add some fully devoted follower of Christ that God has brought into our lives that has inspired us to be uh, a devoted follower and inspired us to be a champion for Christ. In fact, Stop right now. Let's just stop. And I want you to think about that one person that comes to mind that you could name by name who has been an inspiration for you to be a spiritual champion. Now, if you can't think of anybody, I I just think of Pastor Stan, all right? Because I want you to turn to the person next to you and take 15 seconds and mention the name of the person that comes to mind who has inspired you by their leadership and their commitment to be a spiritual champion. And again, if you can't think of anybody, 
mention Pastor Stan's name along with Billy Graham or uh, Luis Palau or David in the Bible. So I've given you at least four choices there, all right? You got 15 seconds. Go ahead, turn to the person next to you and say something about the person that you comes to mind. Go ahead. How do we do? Did you hear the word Stan all over the place? I heard it. Stan, Stan, Stan. People who have inspired, who have instructed, who encouraged, and you look at them and say, oh Lord, if I could only pray like them, if I could only live my life like them, if I could only run through life like they do with great faith and inspiration. Uh, Both Pastor Stan and I were privileged to grow up in pastor's homes. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of things that were normal to us that to everybody else wasn't all that normal. But one of the privileges we both had, and we are thankful to the Lord for it, is our parents introduced us to great men and women of God. And back in the day, I can still remember sitting around the big dining room table as what I thought were, everybody in the world knew them, heroes of the faith would share a story or two about their experience, I would just put it in the back of my brain and say, Lord, help me someday to be like that. Help me to be like that. You know, uh, one one man who came into Joy's family's life came to my mind, Bob Davis. Joy's mom's here this morning, Flo, and her sister Moira. You'll remember Bob Davis. He was a businessman, always a smile on his face, I got around him, everything was going to work out. Everything was going to be good. He always had a Bible story. He was one of those guys that knew the, uh, the Old Testament uh, application of the tabernacle. I mean, I've never done much of a study on the tabernacle, but this guy made it come alive to me. He was, and he went through some difficulties. He went through a, a tragic divorce. He went through some real tra- times of separation from his own children. Uh, he, he lost a business. But you know, he learned to be a spiritual champion. (laughs) Bob told me one day, he lived in San Diego, and he was uh, driving home from a service on a Sunday night that had been really one of those moments in time. If you've never experienced it, let me just tell you, when you have the opportunity, take advantage of moments like this because you'll never know. But God was moving a mighty way. People were healed, and there were just remarkable demonstrations of God's presence like there are here even this morning as your pastor gave that prophetic word as we went to communion. It was just a really a powerful time. And he was in overflow, you know, like he got in the car. And in those days, they didn't have CDs, Christian radio stations. So he, he sang to himself. He was singing these songs and he had one hand on the wheel and the other one he was waving like this. And evidently, I guess the car was kind of going like this as well. When a, an officer of the law in San Diego saw that and Felt it was a little strange that at 10 o'clock at night, some guy's weaving, so he pulled him over. He said, sir, I need to see your driver's license and your proof of insurance, so he got it out, and he said, "Uh, where have you been? And and Bob said, listen, sir, officer, really, the the officer thought he had been intoxicated, really, he, he did. He said, I've been to church, and I just came from a powerful service, and he went on to describe this wonderful service and uh, the, the Spirit of God had showed up, and, and the officer's kind of stepping away from the car now, and 
and, and uh, he hands back uh, the, the license and the insurance uh, slip, and, he, and then, he, then Bob says, and by the way, have you ever given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? And the officer said, it's obvious that you haven't been drinking. Why don't you go on home? That's probably something you want to keep in the back of your mind the next time you're pulled over. Just make sure you've been to church. You know, that's the kind of champion I want to be. The contagious spirit of God in my life so that I can live life as God intended. So I recognize, you recognize this morning that we are to participate in a race. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses in this race, in other words, and we have people on the sidelines saying, come on, Wilson, you can do it. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. Stay with it. Let us run, he says. Let us run. But there's another thing that we need to read here because that's not all. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We have to realize that that you are challenged to persevere in the race. It's, it's one thing to participate in the race, to persevere. Let's imagine that everybody in the room here today has running shorts on, tennis shoes, and a running top. Kind of a scary picture in my, in my mind, at least, as I look over the crowd today. But let's just, uh, let's just imagine that. So we're all on the line, and the gun goes off, and we all start running. And you know, some of us get about maybe... 50 feet, and we start thinking, man, what did we sign up for after all? And some of you sprinters and some of you uh, marathon runners, you're, you're just getting into it. I mean, you know, you don't even break a sweat until you hit about 10 miles. And, you know, you're just going along. But what would be the goal? We would have been told there's a finish line, and we want everybody in the church to cross the finish line. In other words, there's going to be some hills, there's going to be some uh, obstacles that we're going to have to maneuver through, but stay with it. Stay with it. Keep going. Keep going. Now notice that there are two key words here. The key words persevere. Everybody say that with me. Persevere. Which really implies endurance, or in some cases the text means patience. I'm not all that patient of a person, so this really speaks to me. Uh, patience. Being determined to keep going when I haven't yet seen, seen the result of what I'm, I'm running for. This, this defines greatness in any generation. People who are in persevering, people who endure, people who stay with it. To, to sustain spiritual momentum in your life, you, you can't drop out. You can't come on a Sunday morning and pray a prayer with, with Pastor Stan on Sunday and then go out on Monday and just say, well, forget about that. And then come back the next Sunday and say, well, let's try it again. And then on Tuesday, say, forget about that. I'm not doing that anymore. It, this is something that requires that we make a commitment. And there is a challenge in the race because the word persevere means to endure. The other word, you see, is race. And the interesting thing about the original uh, language here and the word race, there's the word we get agony. You see the two go together? Agony. It's not just a sprint, it's a distant run. It's, 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 it's something that, it's like running the hood to coast by yourself without another team member or seven other team members or 14 other team members. It's running on your own. It's not just going out here on the track and running around one time or walking to your car and saying, well, I did that. It's an ongoing, lifelong 
experience of persevering through the race, sticking to it, persevering. So when Phil, by the way, who ran the New York Marathon, and his reason for running was uh, in 1999, uh, a week after he was married, the brain specialist indicated that he had a brain tumor and took his driver's license away from him. So here's a newly married guy with no driver's license. His, a lot of his identity was the ability to be uh, mobile and do his own thing, and he was a pastor. And, and uh, so he had to go through major brain surgery, and he was running last November the 1st to celebrate 10 years of seizure-free living after that brain surgery. That was the motivation for him to run. And uh, when Phil was in first grade at a Christian school up north where we were serving in a church, uh, his teacher invited me to the class during Christmas time to greet the kids and tell the Christmas story. So I did, and it was fun, and we had a lot of fun, and the 27 kids in the classroom. And the teacher said as I was getting ready to leave, would you like the children to quote the Christmas story for you, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14? And I said, well, that'd be terrific. So they stood to their their feet by their their tables, hands to their side, and they perfectly, in King James Version, quoted the entire Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, including my son. And uh, I was in awe, and so I said, wow, that was something. In fact, and here I'm a pastor now, preach sermons and do what I'm doing right now, I said, I don't think that I could even do that. To which my son, six years old, spoke up and said, sure you can, Dad. It just takes perseverance. (laughs) So where did he get that word? And every time I read that, I remember the words of my young son saying, sure you could, Dad. In other words, you've got to stay with it. Don't give up. Don't fail. Keep running. It says in the verse, let us run with what? Perseverance. The race that is marked out for us. Because God began a work in your life last Sunday or 10 years ago or 50 years ago, whenever it was, last week or this morning, He will begin a work in your life. And what He has begun is not the complete work. The Bible tells us in Philippians that He who began a good work in you will continue it and will carry it on until its completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. That means until He comes back. So He's constantly working on us. We have never yet arrived. Every once in a while, there is that tendency in your life and in mine to say, well, now that I'm perfect, look at the person next to you and say, you know, I just want to give you a, a bulletin this morning. You have not yet arrived. Go ahead, tell them. How many, would you, uh, how many of you would raise your hand and admit that there are some people sitting near you that are not yet quite perfect? Yeah, look at the hands go up. Wow. Because God started something in us, we have to persevere. Now, it's not easy. So this passage of Scripture actually gives us four words to keep in mind. How do I keep pers- persevering? How do I become a spiritual champion? How do I sustain my spiritual championship in my life. First, 
You've you got to run free of present distractions. Look at verse 1. You've got to run free of present distractions. You can put these, uh, write these things down, and I'll try to fill in all the blanks because if, if some of the blanks are not filled in, you get really irritated, don't you? And I don't want that to happen. Let us throw off everything. Everybody say everything. everything. That hinders, hinders. Runners, these runners that stood this morning, they don't load themselves down with as much as they can and get a few backpacks full of stuff because they know that will hinder them. And some of you perhaps are carrying around unnecessary baggage this morning. Things that God never intended you to carry in your life. I'll give you one great example. God never intended you to carry worry around in your life. And in the culture and the time and the economic climate that we live in, I want you to know that the enemy, one of his tactics, one of his tactics is worry. Now we talk about these, uh, one version uses the word encumbrance. That's the King James, I think, encumbrance. Some of these things in themselves seem somewhat innocent and harmless, but as they began to wrestle around in our brain and we began to carry them around, they become distractions that hold us from accomplishing what God intended us to accomplish. So worry. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that great uh, portion of Scripture in Matthew, six times, I believe, or five times, uh, he says, do not worry, do not worry. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. And guys like me finally have to read it five times, say, I think Jesus just said, do not worry. Do not worry, he says, but seek the kingdom of God. In other words, rather than worrying, he says, which can be a distraction, keep seeking the Lord. That is how you become a spiritual champion. Another, another real common issue that we all face is Overextension. Pastor talked about this last week. He said, some of us become so busy, we don't take time for God. So I don't need to say much more about that, but in Luke chapter 21, if you want to write that down in your margin, Luke 21, you can read and find the verse. It says, be careful or your heart will be weighed down with the anxieties of life. And that day will close you, close on you, excuse me, that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. In other words, all of a sudden, the cares of life we become overextended. And, and one of the ways we do this in our electronic world today is that we have so many electronic devices that become a part of our lives that we sleep with them now. How many of you, well, we won't ask. Got your iPhone right there with you even in bed. Got your iPad with you at all times. You know, you got all of this connection in the car. And these become distractions. There's nothing wrong with talking on the phone. But even the state says, hey, don't talk on the phone while you're driving. I put about 35,000 miles uh, a year on my vehicle traveling all over Oregon. And uh, I do have to speak on the phone, but I have hands free. And your, my wife, will, Joy, will tell you there's a reason for that. Because she has been with me when I, uh, early on, I had to make a, a, a commitment to the Lord and to my wife that I will no longer text while I'm driving. I will no longer pick up the phone and hold it to my ear and get into an engaged conversation of in-depth while I'm trying to maneuver through traffic. That's not good. And that's what happens. And he says, don't overextend yourself. Or 
Another issue is a grudge, which will turn into bitterness. Something that happened by someone else to you, or you carry the offense of someone else that didn't include you at all, and you carry it around, and it becomes an encumbrance, it becomes a distraction, it hinders you being a champion. And pretty soon all of your life is consumed and engulfed by something along those lines, or even guilt. That's why Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now quickly, there's a couple of more things I want to share with you. You've got to not only run free of present distractions, but you've got to run free of past sins. Sins. Notice what it says in verse 1. Let us throw off, and then then it says, the sin that so easily entangles us. Sin. Not only is it a hindrance, now it becomes a consuming division in our lives. Sin is not only when we do bad things contrary to God's will. Sometimes sin is not doing the good things that God wants us to do. You can talk to Jonah about that. Sin that that separates us. And the difference of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of the other religions out there in the world is that Jesus came to take away our sin, take away our sin. He came to take your sins away and my sins away. That's the message. And I become grieved when so-called preachers of the gospel get consumed with all kinds of other things and forget the very basis by Jesus came and the message of the gospel. In protests and efforts that sometimes in, it may be necessary at times, but when that becomes their, their calling card, then they have missed the very message of the gospel. That's why it says, as, as we may have heard earlier, Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins. Everybody say all. All your sins. Even the ones you don't think God will forgive, he does. And heals all of our diseases. Here's how you get rid of stuff that keeps you from running free and being a champion. That the guilt and the the failures of life. Here's the spiritual help that you need. It's not just the latest book from Dr. Phil. It's turning to God. God who will forgive and who will uh, refresh you. Who will give you a clear conscience and uh, give you peace and strength. And all of these things inspire you to be a champion for the Lord. That's his intent. Let us throw off the sins that so easily entangle us. Uh, Lee Davis tells in, in his book the story of a, a, a well-loved, a much-loved minister who went to the Philippines to, to uh, carry out his ministry. But he he'd carried a burden in his life of a sin or a failure that he'd committed in seminary. Even though he had preached and was a a gospel preacher, he felt the regret of that sin and he could never get over it and had no sense of peace or forgiveness in his heart. And a woman in his church deeply loved God and claimed to have visions in which she carried on conversations with the Lord. So he wanted to test her one day and uh, uh, the minister said, the next time you speak to Christ, I want you to ask him what sin I committed while I was in seminary. And a few days later, he, uh, he saw her and uh, said, well, well, did you ask Christ? Uh, or first of all, did you visit Christ in your dreams? And she said, yes. And then he said, did you ask him what sin I committed in seminary? And uh, she said, yes. <laughs> well, what did, what did he say? 
But the godly woman looked at him with a smile and said, he said, I don't remember it. I don't remember it. Run forgiven of past sin. Now listen, I'm a human person, a human being, and I've been a pastor for many years. I've been around a lot of sinners. And everyone in this room has committed a sin. And some of you have carried the guilt of a failure, an abortion, uh, perhaps an unfaithful act, perhaps some secret sin you've hidden in your life, and you've prayed over it and asked God to forgive you, and you've never broken through. Listen, based on what we experienced this morning, if you will put your life and stake it on that, and the words of Jesus, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. I want to tell you, you have been forgiven. So get up and start running like a champion. Turn that failure into a testimony. Sit at the coffee table with somebody who's going through hell and tell them about how God delivered you from hell. Get on your feet and begin to say, Lord, I'm no longer going to sit back because of a failure. I'm going to ask you to use me in some way and turn that trial, that failure into an opportunity to witness for the Lord. And you will be amazed. People will come out of the woodwork, people at your work that you've never even talked to more than five seconds will come up to you and say, listen, I understand what you went through. I need to share with you what's happened in my life. It will happen. It will happen. In the first service, two guys were here from a Bible study I have led for 22 years in Oregon City every Friday morning. These guys are made up of all kinds of guys that come from all walks of life. Some of them are successful. Some of them think they're successful. Some of them are failures. And, uh, you know, it's just made up of all kinds of guys. And as I saw my friend Phil and Brian sitting there this morning, I couldn't help but look and see guys who represent a group of guys who some have done the stupidest things you could imagine. Certainly things that Pastor Stan and I were not even trained or raised to do. They thought was normal. But God has redeemed them. And I've seen them grow to become spiritual champions for God. And the same is true for you. Finally, let me hear just a couple more things. Let me just say run following the purposes God has for you. The race marked out for us. In other words, some of you say, I'm in a race, all right, Pastor Bill. You bet I'm in a race. It's called the rat race. My life, from the time I wake up in the morning till I put my head on a pillow, is just running from one thing to another. No, God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And I'll leave that for another topic, another time. But finally, run focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The word here really speaks about concentration and intentionality. Intentionally looking to the Lord and looking to Him. I got to tell you, people will let you down. Good people will let you down. Godly people will let you down. Pastors can let you down. Leaders can let you down. But that's why it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. The book of Hebrews in its entirety is about Jesus Christ. And here it's telling us that the theme of the book comes to this. Fix your eyes on the champion. 
and he will bring the champion out in you. Worse than my hurried step is my hurried spirit. And when I don't take time, I I have the need for speed, don't you? Joyce says, slow down all the time when we're driving. I said, I got to get there. I have to slow down because I need time with him. Philippians says, what is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. This book right here is about Jesus Christ and really being a champion is about letting him in your life and letting him control your life and keeping your eyes on him. And good runners will tell you there's two things they don't do. They don't look down at their feet because that could cause a problem. They need to look to see where they're going. And looking down at your feet is kind of an inward thing about all about me. It's not about me. It's about what he wants. And I don't look to the spectators when I'm running to see if they're, hey, there's Martha. Hey, Martha, long time no see. I am concentrating on what he wants me to do. I am running the race. I'm not looking to see what other people think about me. I'm looking to see what he thinks about me. And verse 3, look at this. Consider him, the author, the originator, the director, the perfecter of my faith. He's helping me run the race as a champion. So when I am running the race with perseverance, I've got to uh, be free from personal distractions, past sins, that I need to run with the purpose of God and I need to focus on Him. You know, when I was a kid back in high school, the 1968 Olympics, there were some great events that took place. There was some tragedies as well and there was some political unrest at the time. Some of you may remember that in Mexico City. But there was one runner that is an example of running the race and finishing well. Look to the screens for a moment as we watch together a little clip of the story of one of the great runners of all time and what happened to him and how he finished. A little over an hour after Mama Walde crosses the finish line, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania approaches the stadium, the last man to complete the journey. A voice calls from within to go on, and so he goes on. the finest in the human spirit. A performance that gives true dignity to sport. A performance that lifts sport out of the category of grown men playing at games. A performance that gives meaning to the word courage. All honor 
to John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania. Perhaps the words of John Stephen Aquari epitomize all that is right in the human spirit. When asked why he did not quit, he said simply, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. <laughs>